Well, to those of you who are visiting, I know that there are some visitors here today. The parish of Our Lady of Perpetual Help is a parish that just can't stop celebrating. We were in that Easter season, and then we had Pentecost, and then we had Trinity Sunday, and then we had Corpus Christi Sunday, and now we have a parish solemnity of Our Lady of Perpetual Help. We just can't get ourselves back into the green. That, well, we can next week. But although, although next week in St. Philip Benizi mission, uh, they'll be celebrating the anniversary of the dedication of their church. So that'll be another white uh, Sunday for them. I've written already something in the bulletin about Our Lady of Perpetual Help and my, some of my experiences as a child, which I hope you'll read. But why do we celebrate our parish patron? Every parish, every parish church is dedicated to a mystery or a saint. And you could say, well, Our Lady of Perpetual Help is Our Lady. And there are many churches dedicated to Our Lady. Yesterday I visited the Ukrainian church in Springfield for the first time. They had a lovely Ukrainian uh, festival going on. And that church also is dedicated to Our Lady, the Nativity of the Mother of God. So um, I'm not sure what the Ukrainian calendar is and when, when the feast of the birth of the Mother of God is, but for us it's September 8th. So they would hopefully would celebrate that as a, as a big feast. So we celebrate this feast in honor of Our Lady of Perpetual Help because by the providence of God, this parish has been placed under her patronage. And as you know, when I first came here, I thought, what a great patron to have, because boy, do we need help. <laughs> Not because it's this parish, but we do. We all need help. We cannot do much on our own. Certainly, we, we cannot gain our salvation on our own. And in thinking about what to say today, my mind went back to the beginning, really, in the book of Genesis where you have that second account of creation and after the creation of the first man he's on his own and God says it's not good for the man to be alone let us make a helper suitable for him so you know all the animals were made and Adam named them all but no help makes suitable for Adam was found so he was put to sleep and we know in that account, or the second account, how it's said that the woman was taken, was formed from a rib taken from the side of Adam, and he was woken up and he saw at last, flesh of my flesh, bone from my bones. He saw one like him, but complementary. Now, when we describe that uh, account of creation, I know the women all start thinking, huh, I'm just an afterthought. I'm just made to be his skivvy, you know, his helper, in, in other words, to do anything he wants me to do. But that's not what a helper is. If you think, who, who is the, help, the helper, compare the helper and the one helped. The helper helps the weaker one. Who helps a child, but an adult, or a teacher? Who helps anyone in need? An elderly person who has difficulty getting out through the doors. We open the door for someone 
who can't open them themselves. It is the stronger one who helps the weaker one. So, dear brothers, the ladies might be the fairer sex, but we are the weaker sex. We need, behind every man there is a woman. And we couldn't have even come into this world without the help of a woman, our mother, who bore us in her womb for nine months or so, sometimes with great pain, but she bore it. So, we have our helper, our help Mary. And it's true, of course, that all our help ultimately comes from God. As we prayed in the psalm, God come quickly to help us. But God chooses to mediate the aid that he gives us through his creatures, uh, supremely through his mother. He, could, he chose to make our redemption, as it were, conditional upon the consent of a woman. He became infinite as he is, he became small, became a little child to be born in his mother's womb. In that image of Our Lady of Perpetual Help, which you have in the bulletin and in the missalette and also in the entrance to the church, we see the child Jesus, God himself, fearful as he sees a premonition of the passion that he is to suffer and he clings to a creature, to his mother Mary, to help him and console him. Mary was planned from all eternity. I think it's Archbishop Fulton Sheen who disguised Mary as God's first love. When he planned creation and the incarnation, which was his plan from the very beginning, he already had a woman in mind who would become the mother of his son. And not even the original sin of our first parents could prevent him creating that woman in his image and likeness, free from sin, so that she could be a worthy tabernacle, a worthy mother of his son. And, you know, that it's because that was the incarnation, you could say, is really the whole purpose of creation. Mary, if you like, must have been the first in his thoughts. When he posited this work of creation, he must have had this woman already in mind and planned the whole of creation around this woman who would give birth, who would conceive in her womb a son whom, as we heard in the prophecy of Isaiah, would be God with us, Emmanuel. And it's through this woman Mary that God is with us. And we see in the book of Revelation, this woman of the book of Revelation, so often compared to Our Lady, could be the church as well, but principally Our Lady. And we see also there how Satan is waiting, the dragon is waiting for the child in her womb to be born, to be removed, to be consumed. And so many would like, the devil would like to take us away from Mary, would like to take us away from the church. There might be even those who challenge us Catholics 
who say, you worship Mary. You should worship only God. And we get all very apologetic and say, oh no, 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 don't worship Mary. Yes, we do. Make no apologies for it. The question is, what kind of worship do we offer her? You know, when you learn theology, you learn there are different levels of worship. There's that adoration that is due only to God alone. But you learn that the saints are due a certain kind of worship. We call it dulia, it's the technical word. And to Mary is offered the kind of worship which we call hyperdulia. It's a bit more, it's more, even greater than what we offer to the saints. But very distinct from the kind of worship that we give to God. Don't you husbands, I hope this is true, don't you husbands worship your wives? Don't you worship the very ground she walks on? Don't you worship every breath she takes, every word she says? At least that's what the love songs say. So we can use this word worship and we say, no, 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 I, I, I worship Mary. I worship her as my mother. Yep, and I make no apologies for it. She is our mother given to us by her son, at the, at the cross, when he said, when he saw the disciple whom he loved at the foot of the cross, and he said, woman, behold your son. And he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. And we too must take Mary into our homes, the homes of our lives, of our hearts, of our souls. But yes, the homes in which we live, the homes where, which, in which we find peace and comfort and, and space for our own good living. We need to find her there and to enthrone her, to have an image of her in a prominent place, even a shrine in your house where you turn to her and she's always there. And maybe when you leave your house to go on a journey, you kind of bid her farewell. And when you arrive home, you greet her again, as you would your mother if you came home, having been away from her. And on the eve of the day when I officially become pastor of this parish, I want you to know that if any of you would like me to visit and enthrone an image of Our Lady in your homes, or if you already have one, to go there and pray and bless the image and bless your house. It's very custom not only to bless the house when you move in, but to bless the house every year as well maybe Epiphany time or Easter time or any, any, any time I'd be very happy uh, to do that we might be able to relate ourselves experiences of Mary's help we can go obviously to the gospel and see how she helped that young couple in, uh, at Cana when the wine was running out and she simply goes to her son and says they have no wine and then she and leaves it in his hands and tells the stewards then, just do whatever he tells you. And sure enough, the miracle is worked. All that water is turned into wine of the best. Many saints have confided in Mary. Our late uh, Saint Simon Stock, who was a Carmelite on Mount Carmel, 
had to leave when the Saracens invaded there, all those hermits there had to leave. And uh, St. Simon was, what, was one of them, and he returned to England and was trying to set up a priory of Carmelites in Aylesford, very near where I lived for many, many years in the southeast of England. And he was despairing because the work of the foundation was proving very difficult. In that almost despair, that despondency, our lady came to him in the vision and enfolded him in her mantle and gave him what we now know as the brown scapular, which so many of us wear around us, around our necks, as a sign of our consecration to Mary and how much we depend on her for help. I can also tell you an event of my youth uh, when I would come home, you know, I used to go to and from school using the metro, or what we call there the underground or the tube, the trains that run under London. And I used to like riding them in the evening rather than go straight home. For me, it was fun just trying to ride on all of the lines and go to different stations. And uh, I used to lie to my mother and father. I've been absolved from that. I said, oh, I stayed behind for some extra lessons or for some sport or whatever, but I was just riding the tube. Anyway, one evening, I was on my own on a platform waiting for a train to pull in. And these youths, maybe of similar age to me, uh, surrounded me and said, give us your money. Mugging me, you know. And I said, well, I haven't got any, which was true because my mother and father kept me very short on the allowance. They, they, treat, they, they trained me well. So I said, we don't believe you. Jump up and down, because they wanted to see if any money would jangle in my pockets. So I did. And sure enough, there was a jangling. Well, can you guess what was jangling? Yeah, my rosary and some keys. So it wasn't these ones. but uh, And they couldn't believe it. And for some reason, they were frozen to the ground. I don't know whether that was just natural fright or whether it was or surprise or Mary actually freezing them. But anyway, I was able to get through and find my way to a station inspector and get home safely. And later that evening, help the Metropolitan Police with their inquiries when they called round to my house. So just that little memorable thing that I remember, even though I disobeyed my parents, I had my rosary kept me safe. So I advise you to do the same, uh, to depend on her, to gather around her to pray at home, to greet her when you leave your homes and when you return. You know, there's, there's no chance of excess in love of Mary. St. Augustine said famously, De Maria nunquam satis. You can never have enough of Mary. And we can never love Our Lady enough. No matter how much we love her, we will never love her as much as her son does.